Welcome to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Now your host, Derek T. Dorch. Welcome to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Radio, the Federal News Network. Thank you for stopping by the show. Today we're going to be talking about an issue that we're all concerned about, whether it be human rights or terrorism. We're going to be discussing that right now because of so many different things that are going on. And there's so many different issues that have been, you know, really kind of playing out in the news, whether it be Russia or China or what's happening in the Middle East. But we've kind of lost sense of maybe some of the most important issues that are also brewing that we still need to kind of keep track of what's happening with human rights around the world and also what's happening with terrorism, especially in parts of Africa that we haven't really been paying as much attention to because it hasn't been in the news. There are some things that are happening that people probably should be a lot more aware of because we don't necessarily want to go backwards in terms of kind of missing uh, another rise of ISIS or another rise of terrorism in certain areas. And today we've got on the show Professor Matt Daniels. He's the chair of law and human rights at the Institute of World Politics. And we're going to be talking about that. And he also has a new book out called Human Liberty 2.0. And so we're going to be talking about his book today. Hey, Professor Daniels, how you doing? Good thank to be here. You. Hey, thank you for being on the show. Hey, you know, we've been talking and me and you have been discussing a number of issues, and that's why I wanted to get you on the show. You know, you always have been covering human rights, you know, across the world. What would you say right now? And, and you know, we always get the human rights report from the State Department and other places. What would you say right now is the state of human rights right now across the world? Are are we in a, in a, in a good area right now where, you know, uh, people are doing right by other people? Or are we kind of slipping right now in certain countries? What would be your take on that? Yeah, Derek, I think we're in a very perilous time because we're seeing a rising tide of authoritarianism around the world. Um, and one of the problems is that some of the movements that are seeking to use force and violence to um, project oppression in our world are driven by ideas and ideologies that uh, some of us in the West don't fully understand. And so they keep surprising us and catching us off guard, just like ISIS did in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. You know, when we think about this, you kind of talk about authoritarian you know, rule, right? And a lot of people may not even understand that. They may be thinking, you know, is that, is that Hitler? Is that dictatorship? Break that down for people in terms of what's going on when we think about that kind of dynamic. So since um, World War II, uh, the civilized world has been trying to create a a world system where um, we have democratic government or some semblance of democratic government, and we have certain fundamental rights that are protected under law. Um, There was a time in uh, relatively recent history when it seemed as if that system was going to be triumphant. Unfortunately, in the last decade, uh, we've seen the rise of uh, nations like China with a very authoritarian model for how to run society. No f- human rights, no democracy. We've seen the rise of Vladimir Putin's Russia, uh, a similar model. Um, and in the Middle East and North Africa, we've seen the rise of Islamist movements uh, that are committed to genocide, ethnic cleansing and violence. And um This means that uh, the world that we thought our children and grandchildren would inherit um, is not necessarily going to be the one that they get. Mm. And a lot depends upon what we do. Right, right, right. You know, we just celebrated about the greatest generation, about World War II and D-Day and all these other kind of things. And I think 
we all kind of thought after that, after World War II, we were going to kind of see this change, right? We were going to see the the democracy, you know, democracy kind of take fold around the world. Uh, you know, what, what's your thoughts? Because you've been studying this for a long time. Why hasn't after what we saw the historic battles in World War Two and just going in and doing these other things? Why haven't we moved in a better direction? Why do you think we're going backwards rather than forward? You know, Elie Wiesel, the famous Holocaust survivor, said that um, after the end of World War Two, he assumed that what happened in Auschwitz and um, what happened to um, so many people in the German concentration camps uh, would never happen again. Mm-hmm. And he subsequently decided that he was wrong in that assessment. Unfortunately, human nature um, has a dark side, and that dark side is still with us. Mm. Um, and we need to be especially mindful of the reality that um, people are creatures of ideas. Um, if you look at the world and you just see it in terms of uh, economics, <clears throat> um, what uh, political people might call hard power, mm. military force, economics, um, you're not going to really fully understand the threats that are facing us in our world today, particularly movements like ISIS, like Boko Haram, which are rooted in ideas. Mm. They happen to be very, be very evil and destructive and violent ideas. And um, part of the future, um, part of the uh, outcome in this great struggle depends upon whether we use the tools of our age to project and disseminate ideas that are um, going to give us a peaceful, tolerant world Mm -hmm. or a violent, divided world of groups that are using force against each other. Right, right. You know, you talk about kind of the tools of our age. And, you know, I know me and you have talked about this before, the dynamic of kind of maybe the weaponization of social media um, and all the other kind of pieces, whether it be a Facebook or YouTube or all the kind of other pieces that are out there. You know, as you look at this kind of stuff, what's your thoughts on that kind of stuff? What's your thoughts on, as you mentioned, the tools? Are, are we getting off track in terms of how these tools are now? Can we pull it back? You know, there was a time when everyone assumed that the tools of the digital age would be used for good. And I think everybody's now rethinking that assessment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, probably the classic example of, um, of a mistake in this area pertains to the way that the West first responded to ISIS. Uh, if you recall, there was a moment when President Obama um, described ISIS as a JV team. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not picking on Obama. At the time, Obama was just conveying to the public what he was being told by the intelligence community. Mm-hmm. Uh, but So the underlying f- problem was that the intelligence community failed to appreciate what ISIS represented. And let me, let me just give you a short little explanation. Um, prior to ISIS, you had many violent extremist movements that were focused on occupying parts of our world, like Afghanistan, taking over pieces of land and real estate. And they were dangerous and they were violent. Um, when ISIS came along, they were evaluated as another example of that type of movement. But ISIS is very different. ISIS has global ambitions. Um, they're what we like to call an idea tribe. It's a group of people who have an idea, in this case, an Islamic caliphate, which means a totalitarian Muslim mm-hmm. world government. Mm-hmm. Uh, and their ambitions are global. Um, they may start in a certain area, but their ambitions are uh, nothing less than uh, a global system. And that idea actually has a lot of appeal and power within their base. Because after all, if you believe where, what they teach, why should you just settle for a piece of Afghanistan, right? 
So ISIS also has learned to use digital and social media to spread that virus. So all of a sudden, all around the world, you have copycat groups popping up in Africa. You have lone actors who are pledging allegiance to ISIS and killing people in the West. And this took us by surprise because we failed to understand we're in a new era where ideas matter more than ever. Mm. You know, as we think about this, and, and, and I want to kind of go into your book when we get to the next segment, but as we think about this, you just mentioned about the ideas, you know, and, you know, just like our country and other countries are founded upon ideas, right, and we're trying to push it, but it seems to be a very much a battle of ideas right now where, you know, young people are, are being influenced in a number of different ways, and they're kind of catching on, you know, to either social media and, and maybe flashy type things, and you just mentioned about ISIS about how they kind of almost use a Western approach of social media, right? Um, you know, how do we battle that kind of piece when you now you have a, an organization who's doing some of the same things in terms of recruitment and in terms of kind of getting people excited about what they're doing? How do we counter that? Well, the, the reality is we're playing catch-up now. It is very ironic that movements like ISIS have used tools that the West created mm-hmm. to spread their uh, ideologies. Um, I actually think, and we'll talk more about this later, um, the fastest way to catch up is not just to look to the government. It's to look to um, the private sector, uh, to um, NGOs, and to individuals even, who are very talented and gifted and passionate at using this media, often better than the government. Sure. Um, uh, and faster. Correct. <laughs> and with more, I guess you would say, convincing sincerity. Mm-hmm. Um, I, when it comes to the war of ideas... Your sincerity and the appeal of your ideas matter. Mm. If you really believe them and people can feel that, Mm. they know you believe them and you're committed to them, you sacrifice for them, that gives you power in this new world. And ISIS has that in their favor. They happen to be wrong, but they believe in their ideology. They're dying for it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, that's a force to be reckoned with. You do not want to underestimate uh, a small group of people who are willing to die for what they believe can push a lot of people around. Look what ISIS did in the Middle East, and now it's happening again in Africa. We need to unleash the people who are committed to freedom, democracy, tolerance, and human rights. We need to unleash them as a force for good. That's what this book, Human Liberty 2.0, is about. And we're going to talk about that when we come back. We're talking to Professor Matt Daniels. He's the chair of law and human rights at the Institute of World Politics. Institute of World Politics is a graduate school focused in on national security, on intelligence and diplomacy and foreign policy and all the international affairs and statecraft. You can find it at idbp.edu. But we're talking to him about what's going on with human rights, what's going on with terrorism, what's going on for the battle right now of ideas, what's going on in terms of how do we create just this better world as we go forward. We're going to talk about this and much more when we come back. Listen to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on the Federal News Network, Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m. Welcome back to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m., part of the Federal News Network. If you just joined us, we've been having an interesting conversation about what's going on in the world right now in terms of human rights, in terms of what's going on with terrorism, and also the the, the rise again of ISIS in other areas. We've seen certain things happen in the Middle East and Iraq and Syria and other areas. We've seen the, the almost radicalization of people in the West where you have lone wolf attacks, but people who have been inspired by ISIS. We've also seen the nature of certain things where now in West Africa and other parts, we were also seeing a kind of a re-rise, a resurgence of possible ISIS. And we've been talking about all these issues today in terms of human rights. And how do we deal with this? How do we counter these things? 
we have with us in the studio Professor Matt Daniels. He's the chair of law and human rights at the Institute of World Politics, which is a graduate school of international affairs, of national security, of intelligence, of all the other areas of homeland security and foreign policy. And he's written a book called Human Liberty 2.0. And he's here to kind of talk about what's going on with this book, because he's covering all these issues in his new book. You know, Professor Daniels, tell us about Human Liberty 2.0. When you wrote the book, what was your kind of mindset in terms of what did you want to get out to the people in terms of understanding these threats? Well, you know, in a world where there's a lot of bad news, uh, and we've been talking about some of that bad news, um, I realized there were a lot of stories and examples of individuals using uh, the tools of the digital age to promote human rights, to promote freedom. And some of these stories are not being told. Um, and I wanted to create a book that would collect those stories so that we could inspire and encourage more people to do this. One of the good things about the era in which we're living is that ordinary people, you and I, even young people, teenagers, when they use the tools of digital media well, can have an impact that our parents and grandparents could not have dreamed of sure. unless they were politicians or media celebrities. Right. Um, we really have seen a lot of power to flow to the people. Now, the bad guys are using the power that's flowing down to you know the grassroots. But yes, there are also people using this media for good, and we want to celebrate those stories. So we've got a book, Human Liberty 2.0, that's a collection of stories from every continent on Earth. Men, women, and in some cases, young people, teens, uh, even adolescents, using digital and social media to promote fundamental rights. And I tell people it's a good antidote to the evening news if you're feeling a little bit depressed about the state of our world. It's partly because we don't hear these stories. Mm -hmm. You know, how did you find, I mean, you know, for you, were, were you, was it difficult to find these stories or are they out there on YouTube? Are they out there on Instagram? I mean, did you have to kind of scour the web in order to find these unique people who were doing this work or, or did they come at you? Well, that's a good question. Uh, there are, in a few cases, the stories have been um, told. Mm -hmm. In most cases, uh, they just don't seem to fit the grid that most media use mm. to decide what's news. I mean, you know, if it bleeds, it leads, right? Sure. And so, unfortunately, it's a trend that most of the news we hear about is either shocking or... Um, scandalous. Scandalous or scary. Yeah. Um, to talk about somebody who's doing something good uh, for whatever reason doesn't make the headlines often. Right. So we're trying to fill that void. Okay. Um, think of it, I tell people, you know... It's kind of like chicken soup for the soul. Mm. Um, if you read this book, you'll get encouraged about the human race again. You know, it, it sounds as if something that people, everybody needs to read, because right now I know me and you have been talking a lot and, and the, we do get so much that people almost don't want to watch the news anymore. I mean, you'd be afraid to come out your house if you just kind of, you know, had that daily diet of news of kind of the, you know, the murder, the mayhem and madness. Right. Yep. And so in this kind of piece, you know, what story I mean, do you do you have any particular story that stands out in your mind out of the book that that, you know, that you could share that says, hey, listen, this guy or this gal gave me some inspiration from what they're doing. Let me give you one great example. Um, and I like this because it involves a very young uh, person. Um, there's a was a girl in Seattle named Rachel Beckwith, and she's a very unusual girl. Uh, for her 12th birthday, she decided she wanted to do something to help people who don't have clean drinking water. Um, if you know most 12-year-olds, this is pretty unusual, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a charity called Charity Water that will dig wells. Uh, if you uh, give them enough money, they'll dig a well in your name, mm -hmm. 
and put it on Google Maps and mm. you can show your friends. Very smart yeah. use of digital media. So this girl said to her parents, hey, I want a well in my name as my birthday present. So would you put any funds for my gifts into my well fund? And would you tell my friends to put their money into my well fund? So um, this young girl was on her way towards digging a well. Um, unfortunately, she's killed in a car crash mm. a couple weeks before her 12th birthday. Her parents go on radio in Seattle and they say, hey, we'd like to ask for the public to honor our daughter's dying wish. Would you give to her well fund? In no time flat, they have 10 wells dug in her name because of the generosity of people in Seattle. Then a national news media outlet picks it up. And in no time flat, they've got 100 wells dug in this girl's name. A couple years later, um, the founder of Charity Water, who I know, Scott Harrison, takes the girl's mom to uh, West Africa on a tour. And uh, people are lining the roads with uh, pictures of her daughter uh, because they've heard the story of the 12-year-old girl in Seattle who wanted them to have clean drinking water. So here's an example of a very young girl, unfortunately uh, the victim of a tragic uh, accident, but yet her memory lives on in this part of Africa, and hundreds of people, thousands of people, hundreds of communities have access to clean water because of her. Um, if a 12-year-old girl can have that kind of an impact, uh, you and I can have an impact, uh, whether it's in our community or on the other side of the world, uh, if we want to. And um, that's good because, um, as I said earlier, those who are committed to evil are working hard mm. to promote their view of uh, of the world right. uh, and to take away the rights of people and to take away the freedom and fundamental um, uh, survival of people. Right, right. That's a powerful story of, of leaving a legacy, you know, about her family now, you know, taking uh, uh, under unfortunate loss, yeah. but then turning it into something good. It, you know, it, it really kind of makes me think about when you kind of talk about the tools right now. And a lot of people will kind of say, well, you know, are the tools complicated that, you know, in terms of using uh, 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 whether it be a Facebook or whether it be a Google Earth or whatever? What's your thoughts? I mean, do you do you feel now that the tools are so accessible and, and, and easy to use? That, as you mentioned, kind of a 12-year-old or other people can do certain things. Where are we now in terms of the tools and maybe the power of them? Yeah, um, the answer is the tools are very simple. I mean, some are more complex than others, and, and there it is true. There are certain um, types of activism that require some real sophistication. But most of the tools are simple, and their power is growing all the mm -hmm. time. Um, you know, um, whether it's Twitter, uh, whether it's Instagram, whether it's using YouTube, uh, whether it's working together with friends and creating communities around certain ideas on Facebook. Um, let me give you one example. Uh, this perhaps is more accessible to most people. Uh, it comes from Colombia. Uh, in Colombia, they had a terrorist group known as FARC, F-A-R-C. Uh, this terrorist group was extremely violent. Um, a self-described geek... Uh, programmer uh, got sick and tired of these atrocities being committed by this group, which the government really hadn't tried to put out of business. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he just went on Facebook one day and said, I'm sick of living in a country where we have this kind of horrible evil right. being done. And, you know, Colombia, it's an embarrassment to my nation that right. this group exists. In one week, he had a million friends on Facebook. Turns out the whole country felt the same way that right. this guy did. Just nobody was saying nothing. At Correct. Time. Right. And, and almost by accident, this guy, Oscar Morales, created a movement that so embarrassed the Colombian government that they finally committed the resources to put FARC out of business. Wow. 
Wow. You know, it, it's, it's those individual stories and that I hope almost gives the inspiration for people, because a lot of people, as you just mentioned, are feeling a certain kind of way. Right. But there's a fear. Right. There's a fear or like, hey, I can't change. You know, what do you say to those future activists who may be feeling something, but they say, well, let's, you know, maybe I can put it out on Facebook. But some fear in certain countries that they could either be killed or their families could be killed or they'll get found out. What do you say to that kind of stuff? Well, let me speak first to the context of the free world, okay, sure. where we have more latitude. Yeah. I mean, if you get into a country where the government is going to persecute you for your Internet activity, that's a whole separate category, yeah, okay? Sure. But in the free world, uh, I would say to anybody who's listening what I say to my students, which is 90% of people underestimate the potential that they have in them for good mm. Uh, and for impact, it is 90% of the people aim too low. 90% of the people think too small. Um, whatever your passion or calling is in life, um, if I, I would urge you to embrace the reality that you are capable of far more than you realize. And that as you step into your calling, other people who share that calling will come around you. And before you know it, you could do 10 times more than you could have ever imagined. Think of Oscar Morales in mm -hmm. Colombia. Sure. He wasn't even trying to do anything except express his frustration. Right. And he changed his country. Right. Right. You know, when we talk about this kind of stuff, and I want to kind of get into Boko Haram and get into Africa on the next segment, but when we talk about this stuff, do you feel right now, and, and we've talked about kind of Facebook and we've talked about how a lot of the, and you mentioned this, about that we need the NGOs and we need the private sector to kind of get into this fight a little bit more. Do you feel that they're starting to get into the fight a little bit more? I know Facebook said we're going to, you know, drop off anything that's, you know, terrorist related or or, you know, has certain things or other social media companies. Now, Google, YouTube are saying we're going to, you know, knock off certain people who are talking a certain kind of way. Do you feel that enough is being done or do we need to do a lot more? Well, let me let me be very clear about one thing. And I'm, I'm just going to tell you again what I say to my students. The motive for companies like Facebook and Google and Twitter is to make money. Mm -hmm. That's their only motive. Mm -hmm. They may, they may um, express support for certain ideas or principles or values. That's not what motivates them. But when I, when I talk about the private sector, I'm, I'm really talking in particular about NGOs, charities, and individuals who have no monetary interest in this particular uh, media. They are in it because they have a passion, uh, whatever it is. Uh, they are committed to seeing some injustice uh, uh, prevented from seeing a good done. And they are where I put my hope. Um, all around the world, there are people with a passion for changing the world for the better. And um, don't be discouraged if you don't hear those stories every night in the evening news. Those people are out there. Mm -hmm. That's why this book is hopefully going to be a series. We'll do an annual edition every year because I had to turn away stories for this first edition wow. that we didn't have space for because okay. there's so much of this going on around the world. We've got stories of Muslim women in Saudi Arabia and Iran t risking their lives and going to prison mm. to fight oppression in their mm. countries. We've got stories of people organizing to rescue disaster victims right. uh, in places like Haiti. We've got stories, and these are very dramatic, of people in the U.S., saving victims of human trafficking mm. in their neighborhood, right. in their community, because right. it's happening all around us, because they decided to get together and work on that particular uh, human rights abuse. Right. Um, don't be discouraged. You can do more than you ever imagined, but you need to start 
Uh, thinking bigger, perhaps. I mean, I say this to most people. Most people don't think big enough. Mm, okay. Okay. So don't necessarily underestimate the power that you have. You know, we're talking about this. And Matt, where can they find the book at? Where can they find it? Yeah, Human Liberty 2.0 is on Amazon, so they can find it there. Just Google it on Amazon or go to Amazon and put it in there. Human Liberty 2.0. We're talking to Professor Matt Daniels. He's the chair of law and human rights at the Institute of World Politics, a graduate school of National Security of International Affairs. Uh, He's got the book out right now where he's talking about all these powerful stories of people who really, you know, thought big and used certain tools, whether it be social media or otherwise, and started to make some change in their communities, changes in the world. We're going to keep on talking about this, talking about terrorism, talking about kind of changing all of these dynamics and fighting what's bad out there and using our power as people to do so. You listen to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m. Welcome back to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, part of the Federal News Network. We've been talking about some important issues. We've been talking about human rights. We've been talking about the dynamics of human liberty. We've been talking about what's going on with terrorism and that we still need to be on top of those concerns, especially although it may not be on the top of the news right now, we're still something that's very much so brewing, especially in certain areas, especially in parts of Africa that's going on in other parts of the world. And we need to keep abreast of it. We're talking about all these issues with Professor Matt Daniels. He just released a book called Human Liberty 2.0 you can find on Amazon. But he's the chair of law and human rights at the Institute of World Politics, which is a graduate school that focuses in on national security and international affairs. And you can find it at iwp.edu. But we're talking about all these issues right now. And he's been breaking down some powerful stories of individuals who have been changing the world by just taking acts and just kind of standing up and saying, I'm tired. I'm tired of what's going on with human rights and justice. I'm tired of what's going on with terrorism. I'm tired of the violence. And so we're talking about this right now. You know, Matt, when, when we were, you know, just kind of thinking about this, and, and I know we've talked about how government sometimes, everybody thinks government is the solution, right? Government should be the one to change everything. Government should be the one that solves the problem in my neighborhoods. You know, and I've always been a believer that it's got to be the people. Right. I mean, government can only do so much. Right. And really, government is the people. Right. What's your thoughts on that in terms of us thinking being almost so over reliant upon government? Well, you know, in the pre-digital world, um, there was perhaps more excuse for that mentality. Um, We looked to um, the U.N. We looked to government agencies to take care of these human rights Mm -hmm. issues. Right. Um, Because what could an ordinary person do? Um, But with the advent of the tools of the digital age, connecting people, giving people uh, almost the same power that the media used to have. I mean, the people are the press now. Right. You have the power, amazingly, to reach more people than a than a than a broadcast network. There are people on YouTube who have channels that get more views on a regular. I'm talking about teenagers get more views on a regular basis than some of the broadcast networks. Okay, social influence. I love this. I am glad I am alive in this era because it allows for initiative, creativity, passion to be expressed. Mm -hmm. That wouldn't normally be expressed. Um, So let me give you a story that illustrates how people sometimes uh, can get out in front of the government in a good way. Um, There was a disaster in Haiti. We had an earthquake. People are trapped in the rubble. Okay. The UN goes down. uh, We uh, we send our military down there and they're using paper maps to try to find people and dig Mm -hmm. them out of the rubble. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a guy at my alma mater of Brandeis named Patrick Meyer who's an expert on crowd mapping. Crowd mapping is where you work with a bunch of people to create a map on the internet where you put little pins. Sure. It's a, it's a real-time mapping right. uh, pro, uh, process. 
he figures, well, maybe I can do something to help because I got a lot of friends around the world who are really good at crowd mapping. So he gets all his friends to create a Haiti disaster relief map mm. with reports of people trapped in the rubble. In 24 hours, the Marines and the UN throw away their paper maps and they're using this online tool wow. because it's far more effective. Right. Then fast forward. The Haitian phone company creates a free text messaging app where you can text a message of someone trapped in the rubble. Problem is the reports are coming in in Haitian Creole, which really isn't proper French. Marines don't have anybody who speaks Haitian Creole. UN doesn't have anybody who speaks Haitian Creole. So the same guy at Brandeis, Patrick Meyer, he goes out on to Facebook, goes to all the Haitian Creole speaking user groups, recruits enough volunteers that they're doing real-time translation of text messages coming out of Haiti, putting them on a map. Bottom line, people were pulled out of the rubble in Haiti and their lives were saved because a group of individual volunteers who didn't work for the government or the UN, most of whom never went to Haiti, Mm -hmm. were using these tools so effectively that they actually got out in front of the world's biggest military and the world's biggest humanitarian organization. That's an example of the power that people can bring to the equation. Wow. You know, it reminds me that people think the solution is within government. And it reminds me that oftentimes the solution is within the people. And, you know, and just a person who's creative and who also has some specialized skills that maybe even the government never thought about, right? And said, you know, oh, they didn't think about how to use social media the right way. Let let me give you another example. There's a wonderful story of an entrepreneur in India. Mm -hmm. um, And he, one night, is watching the news, and he sees a story about a little girl who needs a weekly blood transfusion to live. Okay. But for cultural reasons and other issues in India, it's very hard for her family to get blood every week for her. She has a rare blood type. So every week the family is begging people, please, would you donate blood? Our daughter's going to die if she doesn't get a transfusion. This guy gets so moved by that that he decides to create an app for Facebook that matches blood donors with those who need blood Mm. and created overnight the world's largest uh, blood bank using Facebook. It's called Social Blood. Okay. And this guy wasn't a, he didn't work for the state health department. Yeah, yeah. He, he wasn't even an MD. He happened right. to be a, he was a Harvard MBA. But another great entrepreneur. Yeah. Another great example of a person who saw a need and met it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's a charity. He didn't make any money off yeah. it, you know? Yeah. That's outstanding. You know, and kind of looking at things and kind of looking at some concerns, I know, uh, as we, you know, and especially when people kind of move away from the news, right, and they kind of move away from, uh, or or an issue, I should say, move away, moves away from the news. Uh, Boko Haram was a hot issue at one point in time. When they kidnapped the girls, everybody knew about Boko Haram, but a lot of other issues have kind of really kind of taken uh, a stance right now. So what's going on in terms of Africa, and what is the concern as it relates to terrorism, ISIS, Boko Haram and other terrorist groups that are kind of reemerging in West Africa. So I talked earlier about how the Western elites and the intelligence community underestimated what ISIS represented in the Middle East. And we know where that story went. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, it's looking like deja vu all over again for this phenomenon in West Africa. Um, you have uh, the country of Nigeria that increasingly looks like a failed state. So you have uh, the breakdown of law and order. Um, You have rampant violence, um, uh, lack of any sort of uh, effective policing. Um, And in that context, we're seeing the rise of a number of Islamist terrorist groups. Um, Boko Haram is one of them. There's also the Islamic State of Africa. 
Um, and there's a movement uh, which comes out of a tribal uh, context called the Fulani movement. But they all share a commitment to ethnic cleansing, genocide, and violence uh, in order to impose their view of society on the world. And right now, most of the Western elites are looking at Nigeria and trying to explain away what's happening in terms of what we called hard power. So, oh, these are disputes about water rights. They're disputes about land. No, actually, they're not. The reason they're so violent and the reason they're so dangerous is that they're about religious ideologies that include violence as part of their belief system. You know, if it was just about water rights or land, there probably would be a solution. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, these movements are not going to accept any solution that allows other people the right to live and exist and have human rights and freedom. So once again, I predict that the West is going to have to face a very ugly situation in Africa because we've been neglecting what's happening because we're looking at it through a set of glasses that doesn't want to see the reality. You know, why do we always seem to get caught off guard, Matt? I mean, I mean, because these problems seem to be sometimes repetitive, right? I mean, we, we deal with it and, and then... It kind of goes, you know, we, we think it goes away. It never really goes away. We never really solve it. It may get a little bit quieter, but I'm just kind of confused sometimes. And I always ask this question, why do we always seem to be caught off guard, especially government agencies or other, other things of that sort? Is it, is it naivete? I mean, what do you think that is, though? I mean, in terms of dealing with these issues? I'll give you two answers. Um, the first answer is more personal. The second will be more political. Um I think that if you don't have a view of reality that encompasses the existence of evil, mm. you're going to be surprised again and again mm. and again. If you think that our world is just a result of the interplay of economic factors mm -hmm. um, and the biggest problem we've got is not enough education mm -hmm. or not enough economic justice, right. if you think right. that's the whole of reality, right. you are going to be sadly just disappointed. Just a job and they'll right. be okay and everything else. These movements, like the Nazi movement, attract followers who come from very privileged and powerful backgrounds. Mm. They're not just, you know, um, disenfranchised, marginalized. Uh, Osama bin Laden came from one of the richest families in Saudi Arabia. Look what he did. Right. Okay. Uh, just as many of the Nazis came from very powerful, privileged, well-educated backgrounds. Mm. I believe that you cannot understand reality itself, human nature, or history, apart from some understanding of evil. And if you uh, are willing to accept that proposition... <laughs> You should also uh, accept the notion that there's such a thing as good. And that should make you want to be very active about promoting the good, mm -hmm. because I guarantee you the forces of evil are active about promoting the opposite. Now, the political answer. The political answer is a little more uh, mundane, I guess. In, at the end of World War II, when we, under, when we discovered the horror of what the Nazis had did, um, the world decided to create a human rights system which was premised upon the notion that the international community had an obligation to intervene, particularly in cases of what we call genocide, where a, a, a state actor or an entity that acts like the state that has the power and the force of a government mm -hmm. is wiping out a certain ethnic or religious group within their area of control. We're not supposed to say, hey, not our department. We're supposed to intervene. OK, that's the mistake we didn't make. I mean, that's the mistake we did make with respect to Hitler. Yeah. And then we saw what he did. Right. right. Um, well, 
the world doesn't want to pay the price of intervention. The world is afraid of the cost mm. of getting into these areas. And so the world and many of our governments and, and international agencies look for every excuse they can find to explain away something that is obviously genocidal. It obviously involves ethnic cleansing and religious violence and the, the mass murder of certain groups. In, for example, in Nigeria, you have Islamist terrorist groups that are murdering Christians. Well, okay, so they're, 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 they're Sunni Islamist terrorists. They have different variations on that, but they're all come from that root. Mm -hmm. Their ideology of violence is killing Christians, Shia Muslims, and also local tribal uh, religious groups that are indigenous to the region. Okay. Not unlike what we saw in the Middle East where ISIS was killing Shia, Christians, and Yazidis, and, and other indigenous uh, groups. Um, we're at a moment where it's obvious that this is ethnic cleansing and genocide, and the world doesn't want to accept that because if they do, under our professed system of international legal norms, we need to do something about it. Right. We're going to take a quick break. Matt just broke down a whole bunch of stuff that, you know, it, even if we had the time to unpack, we probably need a couple of shows. I'm going to have to have him come back and talk about this a little bit more because these are issues that are critical to our nation. And and if anyone's like me and him, you get tired of hearing about it over and over again. You get tired of not having the solution, you know, brought to the table that we don't have to continue to deal with this. We're talking about human rights. We're talking about terrorism. We're talking about what can be done. What good can be done in order to stop these human right issues and atrocities? And what can be done to stop these issues as it relates to terrorism? We're listening to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch from Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch from Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, part of the Federal News Network. We've been talking about a number of important issues. We've been talking about human rights and terrorism. If anybody ever follows what's going on and just kind of been paying attention we're always concerned about the reemergence of major situations like a, a possible another Hitler in the Holocaust situation or a possible another major terrorist incident or a possible reemergence of a terrorist organization that begins to, you know, enact certain things in which they're taking away human rights from different people and putting them in, in enslaving them or, you know, killing people for just uh, over things where they say, hey, we don't believe in your religion. We don't believe in your freedoms and other things of that sort. We've been talking about these issues right now, and we're talking about them with Matt Daniels. He's a professor at the Institute of World Politics, and he's just written a book. Uh, called Human Liberty 2.0, you can find on Amazon, Human Liberty 2.0. And he's talking about some of the good that can happen in society, how we can battle these human rights issues, how we can battle the formation of groups that are out there to do harm. And as we close the show today, I want Matt to really kind of focus in on, because we've talked about the horrors and we've kind of given everybody a horrible picture. But Matt, tell us what can be done good. I mean, what can what can inspire people to, to do good right now? Well, you know, the earliest endorsers of my work came from the military community. Um, and that's because the military community understands the limits of what we call hard power. Mm -hmm. um, and they want to see us use ideas as our first weapon in these wars, right? Um, the good news is that because of the power of digital media, we can project ideas to any corner of the world. You know, you go to Africa, people don't have plumbing. They have a cell phone. Right. right. Um, this is the way to reach and change uh, hearts and minds in any country on Earth, including areas where these terrorist groups are active. Um, so 
I would uh, say we've got to find ways to use the tools of the digital age to project the ideas that are the antidote to the disorder. The disorder is ideas that take away the humanity of other people, that um, encourage violence against other people. Um, If you read Human Liberty 2.0, you'll get a taste of how these tools can be used, how you actually, as an individual, can make a contribution or work with others through different charities and NGOs. Um, And that's the way we win. We win by playing offense for the good rather than just playing defense against the bad. Mm. You know, in in this, if you had to kind of tell some one person and one person heard just heard right now, I'm going to do something good tonight. What would you say? What would be the best tool? I mean, what's the best way for someone to maybe kind of inact, you know, activate themselves and maybe do good? Is it is it a Facebook? Is it Instagram? Is it YouTube? What do you what's your thoughts on that? I would say, you know, whether your issue is the homelessness in your community, whether it's human trafficking in your community or whether it's people who don't have access to water or education on the other side of the world, uh, do a little research. You'll find out pretty quickly that there are a bunch of groups out there probably working on your issue. And uh, connect with them. Uh, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You plug into what they're doing. If there's some issue that nobody else is working on that happens to be your passion, well, maybe that's a call in your life mm. to become the leader of a group and a movement. Because I guarantee you, if you feel it strongly in your heart, there are other people who share that same calling who will respond when you take a step out to do good and to help others. Uh, don't be afraid to act when others are not acting because people will join you. Professor Matthew Daniels, he's the chair of law and human rights at the Institute of World Politics. Uh, you can find his class at IWP.edu. He runs a class where he's teaching young minds and teaching maybe some of the older minds about kind of combating these issues of human rights, combating these issues of terrorism and how to counter them. His book is Human Liberty 2.0. You can find it on Amazon. I encourage you to take a read of it. It'll inspire you to get involved. And we need more people to get involved in order to deal with just the injustices of society. There are people who need help and those to whom much is given, much is expected. And so we want people to get involved. Don't necessarily be afraid to be that lone person because other people will join you if it's the right mission and going forward. Thank you, Matt, for just kind of inspiring us and telling us these stories. You're welcome. You've been listening to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Monday afternoons at 1 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. 
Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone.